Good evening, my friends. I hope it is midnight wherever you are. Let's imagine that it's the witching hour. Why don't you turn out all the lights? My name is Josh Hitchens, and I am your host tonight. Welcome to Going Dark Theatre. This is a podcast about finding the humanity behind the horror. And this midnight, I will tell you the tale of the frightening fort. This may be considered a lost episode of Going Dark Theater in a way, because this episode is about Fort Delaware, a haunted location that I have a very personal connection to, as you will soon learn. I had originally planned to talk about Fort Delaware in the first season of this podcast, but I ended up cutting it from my lineup of episodes because it would have been too many episodes in the 19th century in the first season. But I've decided to revisit it now, both because Fort Delaware has an incredible and deeply haunting history, but also because Fort Delaware is one of the chapters in the book I am currently writing for the History Press called The Haunting of Delaware, Ghosts and Legends from the First State. The chapter on Fort Delaware will be the first chapter in the book, and I'm excited to share it with you here and now. The state of Delaware is filled with many ghostly echoes of its past history, but perhaps the most famous and the most haunted location of them all is Fort Delaware, located on Pea Patch Island, approximately one mile from the mainland of Delaware City in Newcastle County. Virtually every paranormal television series has visited the fort at one time or another, and those who investigate this historic site almost always have encounters there that would cause most people to run away, screaming into the night. So... It is fitting that we begin our tour of haunted Delaware here. It is also the location where I myself saw a ghost for the first time in my life. In 1938, the Federal Writers Project of the Works Progress Administration combed the state of Delaware to create an exhaustive study of its history and folklore, including its tales of ghosts and hauntings. The resulting book, Delaware, A Guide to the First State, is long out of print, but I believe it is the best book ever written about the place I grew up in. In my own book, I will quote from it frequently, and I encourage everyone to find a copy for themselves. It contains vivid descriptions of Delaware's people and places that would likely have been lost to time otherwise. The book, describes Fort Delaware as it was in the first decades of the 20th century. On a marshy island in midstream 
is the grim and bleak gray mass of Fort Delaware, a huge granite pentagon commanding a southward sweep of river and bay. Tiers of empty gun ports look out from casements in the walls and jutting bastions above an encircling moat filled with dark water. On the earth-covered upper battlements, trees have grown fantastically, their roots twining with dungeon ventilators, their branches twisted by gales. Only the flag and the Monday wash of a non-commissioned officer's wife flutter gaily in the breeze to relieve the sullen melancholy of the great old fortress. The silence is usually heavy and unbroken. A dark and shadowy Civil War fortress with a moat on an isolated island where thousands of Confederate prisoners died. What better place could you expect to find ghosts from the past with unfinished business? Like many children educated in Delaware public schools, East, uh, East Millsboro Elementary School for me, a field trip to Fort Delaware was mandatory. I first visited the fort on a class trip when I was in the fifth grade. To get to it, you have to take a ferry over the Delaware River, there is no other way. Once you land on Pea Patch Island, you walk along an extended wooden boardwalk and then ride a jitney through marshland for several minutes before arriving at the fort itself. Then, with the imposing structure of Fort Delaware before you, you cross the moat and walk inside. Fort Delaware was declared a state park in 1951, and ever since it has operated as a living history site, where staff members dress and talk to visitors as if it is still 1864. If you want to ask the staff a contemporary question, you are told at the beginning of your visit to ask them to take off their hat. Only then will they break character and respond to you in a modern way. On my fifth grade field trip, I was enraptured by the history all around me at Fort Delaware. With the other students in my class, we were touring what is known as the Dungeons, small cells where Confederate prisoners were held and sometimes chained to the walls. I suddenly realized that I had lost my class, and I was all alone. I was afraid of getting in trouble for not staying with the group, and I was also scared because I had no idea where to go. Then, a little further down the hallway, I heard voices talking. Thinking that was where my teacher and classmates had gone, I followed the voices. The voices I heard led me to one of the cells in the dungeons. The door to the cell was closed, but there was a small window with prison bars covered by cobwebs. I looked through that barred window, and I saw two men sitting in the prison cell, across from one another at a wooden table. One of the men wore a crisp, nearly new, blue Union Army uniform. He had a long brown beard and blue eyes. Across from him sat a thin, 
pale man dressed in what remained of his once glorious gray Confederate army uniform, but now it was nothing but rags. The man in the Union uniform turned his head from the Confederate soldier he had been speaking to and looked at me. He looked directly into my eyes. I got the feeling that I was not supposed to be there, that I was interrupting something that I shouldn't see. I assumed I had interrupted a rehearsal for the tour guides of Fort Delaware, so I quickly walked away, out of the dungeons and into the bright light of the parade ground. I found my classmates and was relieved no one had noticed I was missing. Our next stop on the tour was the officers' quarters, and after the reenactor had explained the rooms and my classmates and chaperones drifted out of the door, I asked him to take off his hat. He did. Then I asked him about the two actors I had seen in the dungeons. He got very pale, and he said there were no staff members ever stationed in the dungeons. More than that, all the cell doors were rusted shut. No one could get into those rooms. No one alive, anyway. I realized in that moment at Fort Delaware in the fifth grade that I had seen a ghost. About two years later, I went with my family on a ghost tour of Fort Delaware led by master storyteller and author Ed O'Connowitz. He was collecting stories for his upcoming book, Civil War Ghosts at Fort Delaware, which remains definitive. At the encouragement of my mother, as we traveled over the water in the dark, I told Mr. O'Connowitz what had happened to me. He listened to my story very kindly as we traveled to Fort Delaware on Halloween Eve. My story didn't make it into his book. I was just a kid, after all. But I never dreamed I'd finally be able to tell my story in my own The writers of Delaware, a guide to the first state, say, The legend of Pea Patch Island is that a vessel loaded with peas foundered on a bar in the river. The peas sprouted, catching floating debris, and little by little the island was formed. Testimony that, quote, in 1773, the island was only the size of a man's hat, appears in the record of a suit brought by the state of Delaware in 1839. In its early history, Peapatch Island is also referred to as Pip Ash Island by Major Pierre L'Enfant. He was a military engineer chiefly remembered by history as the man who designed the original layout of Washington, D.C. And on May 16, 1794, Pierre L'Enfant wrote a letter to the Secretary of War that would significantly alter the course of the little island's destiny. 
I recommend a fort on Pipash. And batteries at Newcastle should be provided for, not because of its great commercial interest, but because of its importance when militarily viewed. This situation, Newcastle, is most happily circumstanced to be made strong and to unite all that is requisite, a grand garrison. Upon the Pip-Ash Island, it cannot be questioned but that pass may be well armed and that proper works erected there would protect the whole riverbank. Despite Pierre L'Enfant's enthusiastic recommendation, it would take many years until his order to construct a fort on Peapatch Island was finally completed. Some might even say that efforts to build on the island were cursed, with the land itself doing everything it could to reject human habitation. In 1813, the first official order to begin work on a fort at Peapatch Island was given. Work did not commence on the island until Christmas Day, 1814, and it proceeded extremely slowly. Most of the island was approximately four feet above sea level, and its highest ground was only ten feet above sea level, which left Peapatch prone to completely flooding if tides in the Delaware River were even slightly higher than normal. Because of this, it was necessary to alter the structure of the island to prevent flooding, which was a complex and expensive endeavor. The structure, nicknamed the Star Fort due to its design, began to be constructed in 1820. Almost immediately after the building began, workers and officers stationed on Peapatch Island began to fall ill with a mysterious respiratory infection in large numbers. Then it became clear that the structure built so far was shifting with the tides cracking and sinking into the perpetually muddy earth. The winter of 1831 was an especially unforgiving one for those living on Peapatch Island. The Delaware River was close to completely freezing over, leaving those at the Star Fort cut off from the mainland. Many of the inhabitants became sick, and some died, their decaying remains laying out in cold houses. Then, on February 9, 1831, the Star Fort caught fire. No source for the blaze was ever discovered, but it decimated the wooden structure of the fort, leaving only charred stones. The military was forced to abandon the ruins of the fort on Peapatch Island on February 10, 1831, leaving no living inhabitants. Two years later, in 1833, the United States military was ready to try again. It was declared that a new structure made of stone and brick should be built on Peapatch Island and that its name would be Fort Delaware. Deciding to start building from scratch, it was discovered that deep under the layers of mud and sand on Peapatch Island, there was rock. 
So it was decided to construct the fort on pilings driven deep into the earth. Although time-consuming, it was thought that this would finally allow a stable structure to exist on the island. However, in 1838, a man named James Humphrey sued the government, asserting that he had a claim of ownership to Peapatch Island. This caused all work on Fort Delaware to immediately cease, and for a full decade, the island sat completely abandoned while the case went through the court system. In their excellent book, Unlikely Allies, Fort Delaware's Prison Community in the Civil War, authors Dale Fetzer and Bruce Malday write of this unlucky time in the fort's history. In the ten years since the army vacated Peapatch, nature had not been kind to the island. In 1839, an unusually high tide completely flooded the island. Some of the material, especially the timbers, was washed away. Again, in October 1846, a high tide flooded the island. In fact, the oldest inhabitants of the region claimed that the 1846 tide was the highest in memory. Peapatch Island had become a tangled wasteland. Debris was scattered everywhere. Vegetation had grown over the brick and stone piles. The engines were relics, and most of the timbers were gone. Finally, in 1848, Peapatch Island was back within the government's control. Throughout the 1850s, the military worked on building the five-sided Fort Delaware visitors can see on the island today. The builders worked ten hours a day, six days a week, and were forbidden to leave the island for the duration. More than 300 people lived on Pea Patch during this time, the most human beings the island had ever seen up to that point in its history. Fort Delaware would have the luxury of indoor plumbing and even flushable toilets which emptied out into the moat surrounding the fort and then periodically flushed out into the Delaware River. The system did not always work, leaving the fort surrounded by water fouled by human waste. This period of Fort Delaware's construction was overseen by Major John Sanders. After ten years of seemingly unending work, he declared that the fort, although not completed, would be ready for military service in 1858. Sadly, Major Sanders would not live to see the fruits of his labor. He died on July 29, 1858, becoming another sad addition to the list of people who had died on Peapatch Island for the sake of Fort Delaware. To honor his memory, on the day Major John Sanders died, all work paused and the community fell into respectful silence. Fetzer and Malday write in their book, Unlikely Allies, Fort Delaware was a marvel of military engineering. 
the determination of the government, as seen through the actions of several secretaries of war, including the likes of James Monroe and Jefferson Davis, to conclude the project was as remarkable as the project itself. This American Goliath, boasted indoor plumbing, modern defensive architecture, innovative gunnery platforms, and the capability to hold a waterborne enemy at bay for months. Fort Delaware was truly the locked door to the seaport of Philadelphia. Construction on Fort Delaware would not officially be completed until 1868, but it became an integral part of history during the American Civil War of 1861 to 1865, a time of horrific pain and bloodshed which has left numerous ghostly echoes within Fort Delaware's stone walls. Its state-of-the-art guns would never be fired in battle with the enemy, but the fort would become notorious as a prison for captured Confederate soldiers, many of whom, it seems, have never left the island. Disease remained a constant specter on Peapatch Island. The first recorded death of a prisoner at Fort Delaware was on April 9, 1892. Captain Lewis Holloway, 21 years old, caught pneumonia and did not survive. Outside of the fort itself, Long, wooden barracks were constructed to house the prisoners of war. They were stifling hot during the summer and freezing cold in the winter, despite the presence of a pot-bellied stove. Private George M. Green wrote in a letter home that the Confederate prisoners, quote, get so sassy sometimes that we put them in the dungeons and feed them on bread and water until they get tame. These dungeons were really the casemates and powder magazines, and they remain nightmare fuel now, just as they did for Confederate prisoners during the Civil War. They are cavernous brick structures with only small windows to let in light. Here, prisoners were sometimes chained or placed in solitary confinement. Names of past prisoners are still able to be seen carved into the brick. Grim reminders of past torture. Union soldiers who deserted their posts at Fort Delaware were routinely captured and then had their skin shamefully branded with the letter D for deserter. Fetzer and Malday also describe how, quote, A miscreant could be bucked and gagged, which involved the use of a long pole placed in the crook of the elbow with the prisoner's hands tied in front of him and a stick or bayonet secured by a leather thong in the mouth. At Fort Delaware, those who were bucked and gagged were then hoisted by rope to the ceiling of the sallyport, where they were suspended for the duration of the punishment. The night of July 15, 1862 was a dark and stormy one. During the torrential downpour and ferocious winds, 
19 prisoners escaped from Fort Delaware by swimming across the river from Peapatch Island to the mainland of Delaware City. None of them were recaptured. Some may have made it to the shore and been helped south by Confederate sympathizers. It is certain that some of them drowned in the river during the storm. Over the course of the Civil War, many prisoners would attempt to escape, some even getting to the river by going through the sewage system in desperation. How many men drowned trying to escape the island is unknown, but it explains why sometimes People traveling to or from Fort Delaware by boat have been terrified to see human hands emerging from the dark river as if pleading for help that never came. The Battle of Gettysburg in July 1863 changed life on Peapatch Island forever. After that bloody battle, which helped turn the tide of the Civil War, there were 12,595 Confederate prisoners at the fort, and the total population of the island reached an all-time high of over 16,000 souls. This was more people than lived in the city of Wilmington. So, for a time, Fort Delaware on Peapatch Island became the largest, most populated city in the first state. By the end of July 1863, 111 Confederate prisoners had died, and the island's population continued to be ravaged by disease, especially smallpox. Some prisoners were exchanged or released, but there were still far too many for the fort to accommodate. Private Joseph E. Purvis a Confederate prisoner from the Battle of Gettysburg could likely have spoken for all the prisoners of war as he wrote in his diary. I'm still confined in this wretched place. God grant they may send us away very soon, for this is the last place on earth to me. As summer turned to fall and the weather grew colder and colder, Purvis wrote, Sickness increases every day, I believe, and so does wickedness. I never saw the like in my life before, and I hope I never do again. Eight or nine of us die every night. In September of 1863, the death toll at Fort Delaware had risen to 327, mostly due to the smallpox epidemic. Those who went into the island's hospital almost never left it alive. From the Battle of Gettysburg in July to December of 1863, 1,222 Confederate prisoners died, almost exactly half of the deaths at Fort Delaware took place within this period. It soon became apparent that Peapatch Island was not able to hold its dead. Because of the frequent high tides and muddy soil, decomposing bodies would eventually come back up to the surface. 
Corpses were placed in simple wooden coffins and then traveled on what became known as the Death Boat to be interred in mass graves at a cemetery in Finns Point, New Jersey. One Confederate prisoner escaped from Fort Delaware by removing a corpse from its coffin, taking the dead body's place in the coffin for the boat ride to Finn's Point, and then jumping out of the coffin once it reached the cemetery and ran, probably scaring the life out of the gravediggers. He was not recaptured. Visiting Fort Delaware in July 1863, infamous Philadelphia surgeon Dr. Silas Weir Mitchell called Peapatch Island, quote, an inferno of detained rebels, a thousand ill, twelve thousand on an island which should hold four the living have more life on them than in them. There are stories handed down, perhaps apocryphal, that Union guards would sometimes throw live rats into the barracks to enjoy watching the starved Confederate prisoners fight over a warm meal. In 1864, conditions for the prisoners at Fort Delaware worsened. This was partially due to an order given by General Albin Schuff intended to enforce discipline among the prisoners, but in effect gave the Union guards a license to kill. Quote, should the prisoner fail to halt when so ordered, the sentinel must enforce his orders by bayonet or ball. According to some historical records, at least 12 Confederate prisoners were shot and killed at Fort Delaware because of this order, some accidentally and some on purpose. There may well have been more. When the American Civil War finally came to an end in 1865, approximately 32,000 men had been imprisoned at Fort Delaware. Of those 32,000 prisoners, 2,460 of them never left Peapatch Island alive. The last prisoner to die at Fort Delaware was a 19-year-old named Thomas Jowers, who succumbed to illness on July 30, 1865. In the early decades of the 20th century, Fort Delaware was slowly abandoned, and vandals stripped the buildings of its wooden furniture and doors. The prisoners' barracks, the hospital, the chapel, and all other buildings except the fort itself eventually vanished leaving the spirits of the dead all alone on Peapatch Island. But they would not be silent for long. Ever since Fort Delaware State Park opened to the public in 1951, both visitors and the reenactors who work there have experienced paranormal activity on Peapatch Island. Unlike many historic sites, Fort Delaware has embraced the spooky side of its history, hosting ghost tours and paranormal investigations at the fort during the month of October. 
One reason why the haunting of Peapatch Island remains so strong is perhaps because it is operated as a living history site. The officers' quarters, the kitchen, the mess halls, and the prisoners' barracks have all been painstakingly restored to look as they would have in the year 1864, when Fort Delaware was deep in the Civil War. Perhaps because it so much is as it was during those years, the ghosts still feel very much at home on Pea Patch Island. As soon as you cross the drawbridge over the moat and enter Fort Delaware via the sally port, the only way in and the only way out, you may feel that you are being watched. This location is said to be haunted by the specter of a Union soldier Private Stefano, who immigrated to the United States from Italy. Private Stefano was given the task of looking after the high-ranking Confederate officers who were kept prisoner in rooms above the sally port, so they would not be able to mingle with or influence the rebel soldiers they had once commanded. Day after day, Private Stefano walked the slippery stone steps up to the area where the Confederate officers were held. On one fateful day, Private Stefano lost his footing on the moist stone stairs and fell. He landed hard on the granite floor of the sally port, cracking his skull open, his blood spreading over the gray stones as he died. To this day, visitors newly arrived at Fort Delaware have reported seeing the apparition of a soldier walk past them, who then vanishes, or feeling touched by a phantom hand, as they listen to the reenactor's introductory speech. Some more sensitive folks have sworn they have seen fresh red blood stains appear on the old gray stones by the stairs. The rooms above the sally port where Confederate officers were imprisoned are not open to the public but they are sometimes made available to Civil War reenactors who visit Fort Delaware. In his essential book, Civil War Ghosts at Fort Delaware, Ed Okonowitz relates a chilling tale told to him by a reenactor named Bob Steves. One day, Bob arrived to work at the fort, walked up to the second floor where the rebel officers had lived, and entered a room that was used as a dressing area. While he was putting on his uniform, Bob noticed another reenactor, who apparently had arrived earlier and was already dressed. The stranger walked by Bob's doorway and headed down the narrow hall. Instinctively, Bob called out a greeting and went into the hall. The hallway was empty. There was no one there. As you walk the grounds of Fort Delaware... You feel as if you are in another time. In this way, it is a perfect place for ghost stories. 
you may stumble upon the chance to watch and hear one of the island's guns fired toward Delaware City. You may find Union soldiers demonstrating how they fired their rifles on the green grass of the parade ground inside the fort. You might wander through the dungeons and feel afraid. You may stumble upon the commander's office and finally find yourself in Fort Delaware's kitchen, in which a reenactor cooks you spiced apples the old-fashioned way over a stove fueled by fire. Ed O'Connowitz interviewed a kitchen reenactor named Linda Jennings for Civil War Ghosts at Fort Delaware and what she said has become part of the island's haunting legend. While working in the kitchen in 2005, Linda saw the apparition of a black woman suddenly appear. She says, I looked over in the corner, and I saw a lady staring at us. I did a double-take and kind of nodded, because there were children with me, I didn't say anything. Her apron was filthy, cruddy. It was singed at the bottom, probably from working in the kitchen. She walked around, came close, and examined what we were cooking. She was looking in the pots. She vanished for a short time and then came back. She looked at me. I felt like she was nodding approval at what we were doing. Then she turned around and walked into a wall. And that's when everybody got the clue that this was not just part of the cast. I think they are here because we are here. They can be here all the time and we just don't see them. The area where the kitchen ghost disappeared also has a cold spot that cannot be explained, especially when the fire is burning in the kitchen stove and the room is stifling hot. There is a pantry next to the cold spot in the kitchen that has also been the site of paranormal activity, including the sound of a woman's voice being heard when no one else is nearby. Linda's husband, Lee Jennings, has also experienced unsettling things while working at Fort Delaware over the years, particularly in the dungeons, which seem to be the most haunted area of Peapatch Island. Ghosts have been experienced in the dungeons by visitors and staff countless times over the decades, including by myself. Lee Jennings said in Civil War Ghosts at Fort Delaware, It's hard when you're working in a dark place by yourself, to not be disconcerted by the sound of somebody behind you that you can't see. I have heard footsteps. I've heard hushed conversations, but most of the time, it's just this presence here. It's like you're being followed. I recall when we first started our work here, walking through the dungeon areas was unpleasant. It was not a nice place to be. You would start out walking, and you end up running to get out. As the sun sets and the tourists go home, the staff does a thorough search of the island to make sure everyone has gone. Once they do, the reenactors are finally able to take the ferry back to the mainland and the modern world. 
It is then that the many phantoms at Fort Delaware have the place all to themselves. At night, when the island is empty, many witnesses on boats passing by Peapatch Island have noticed a light where no light should be. Up on the ramparts on the New Jersey side of Fort Delaware, the apparition of a man in a black cloak has been seen carrying a lantern. This eerie moving light on top of the fort has been seen by dozens of people over the years, including author and historian Ed O'Connowitz himself. Some who have gotten a closer view of this apparition have sworn that it also appears to be headless. The phantoms of Fort Delaware, it seems, are still guarding this old historic landmark. Perhaps the unearthly light on the ramparts at night is a warning to the living to stay away. Or perhaps it is an invitation, a dare to come closer and find out just what is lurking within the dark chambers of this haunted and haunting relic of the American Civil War's bloody atrocities. Next time we meet on Going Dark Theater, I will tell you another tale to chill your bones. This season, each new episode will be a surprise. I also have another special Halloween project on my Patreon, patreon.com slash joshhitchens, I am doing another podcast called 62 Horror Movies, where I'm hosting a double feature of my favorite scary movies every night throughout the month of October. These episodes are free to listen to. If you do wish to to subscribe, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. I am your host, Josh Hitchens, and you've been listening to Going Dark Theater, where we seek to find the humanity behind the horror. Until our next midnight, together, I wish you all very pleasant dreams, and now, Going Dark. Thank you.